This podcast is proudly supported by Drama Victoria. We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record. We record on the land of the Wurundjeri Willem people. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we are going to be speaking through the 2021 VCE Theatre Studies monologue exam prescribed structures. We're going to be talking a little bit about each monologue, give some context and background information and basically what happens in each monologue. Hopefully this episode will help you make a choice about which monologues you're going to look further into. Without any further ado, let's get to it. Prescribed monologue number one, character Polly Peachum and Polly as pirate Jenny. Show the Three Penny Opera by Berthold Brecht and music from Kurt Weill. Theatrical style, epic theatre and musical. Context, written in 1928, based on the Beggar's Opera written in 1728 and it's set in Victorian London. Polly Peachum has just married McHeath in an empty stable that is furnished with loot from the gang's recent plundering. With no other entertainment, Polly sings Pirate Jenny, a barely melodic tune in the style of epic theatre that tells the story of a waitress Polly once saw at a dive bar in Soho. Although Jenny is mocked and ordered about by the patrons, she believes that she will get her revenge when the black ship comes rolling in to rescue her, destroy the town, and each of them will be at her mercy. She plans to give none. Polly is a young, naive girl who has fallen in love. As the play progresses, we see how capable she is. This song, which comes near the start of the play, may serve as a tale of things to come. Prescribed monologue number two, character Lettuce, show Lettuce and Lovage by Peter Schaffer. Theatre style, comedy slash realism. Context, written and set in 1987. There are, however, two different endings for the play, one for the original UK production and a softer ending for the Broadway run. This version is the softer ending for the Broadway run. This monologue appears in Act 1 early in the play. Lettuce is a past middle-aged tour guide at an estate called, comically, Fustian House. Fusty means smelling stale, damp, or being old-fashioned. Lettuce had an actress for a mother and lives by the catch cry, Enlarge, enliven, enlighten. This monologue sees Lettuce depart from the written script of her tour and start inventing a fictional and salacious history, much to the enjoyment of the visitors. Throughout the play, we learn that Lettuce is a fan of medieval weapons, live-action roleplay, she's a bit of a drinker, and truly loves history and architecture. Prescribed monologue number three, character Amelia, show Amelia by Morgan Lloyd Malcolm. Theatrical style, heightened language, eclectic, mock history. Context, written in 2018 and set in 1609. This whole play is about the life of Amelia Bassano, one contender for the Dark Lady referred to in William Shakespeare's sonnets. Amelia was an English poet with Italian ancestry. She was the first woman to assert herself as a professional poet in 1611. This monologue is a mock history work that fills in the gaps about her life and fills them in with empowered feminism linking the play to contemporary injustices for women. The monologue provided by the VCAA is taken from various parts of the play. The three Amelias are the same character at different ages and that may play into your interpretation. The monologue journeys from a young Amelia describing her lot to an older Amelia suggesting things should change to a 76-year-old Amelia who ends with a discussion on the power of anger and the power within. Prescribed monologue number four. Character, Paw Paw. Show, A Ghost in My Suitcase by Vanessa Bates from Gabrielle Wang's novel. Theatrical style, magic realism, theatre of the impossible, children's theatre. 
context, set across Australia, cosmopolitan Shanghai and the misty byways of rural China. This is the story of 13-year-old Celeste, who travels to China to visit her grandmother and uncovers a family secret. Poor Poor is strong, gutsy and challenging. She appears somewhat aloof and enigmatic, but underneath is kind, loving and focused. In this monologue that is taken from dialogue across multiple scenes, we learn about Poor Poor's early life and the imprisonment of her father. We then discover she's a ghost hunter, and then we see her training Celeste on how to hunt ghosts using bells, mirrors, swords and more. At the conclusion of the monologue, we hear how Ting Ting came to live with Poor Poor and a secret that she keeps. This monologue is incredibly theatrical, with many elements to consider when bringing it to life, with changes in location, a real ghost appearing, and many unseen characters implied. This is an exciting monologue. Prescribed monologue 5, character Cyrano, show Cyrano de Bergerac by Martin Crimp, freely adapted from the play by Edmund Rosdent. Theatrical style, heightened language, and prose. Context, written and adapted in 2019 and set in 16th century, although realised in a modern setting. This monologue comes right after we've heard about and have been introduced to Cyrano de Bergerac, an expert swordsman, logophile and poet. We also learn he is very sensitive about his big nose. Well, at least he thinks it's big. The monologue appears after he has just interrupted a performance and forced the main attraction off the stage with his witty heckling. An annoying person asks why Cyrano has stuck his neck out. Cyrano misunderstands the annoying person and thinks they are referring to his nose sticking out. What we see next is a wild display of Cyrano's rhyming prose as he unloads a cavalcade of insults and beautiful abuses. If you're planning on choosing this monologue, I would start the diction warm-ups right now. Prescribed monologue number six, character Dr. Spigelski. Show, A Month in the Country, adapted by Brian Friel, originally by Ivan Turgenev. Theatrical style, realism, context, adapted in 1992 and originally written in 1848, titled The Student and set in the 19th century. The doctor we see in this monologue is quite different from the man we see throughout the rest of the play. In this scene, the usually funny and comic relief characters have a slightly more serious scene as they discuss their possible marriage. Although still funny in its pragmatism, they are discussing that thing called love with brutal efficiency. Spigelski also tells us he believes he knows how the others see him, as an entertaining peasant who relieves their boredom from time to time. We discover he was born poor, born in a mud hovel, and has crawled his way out to become a mediocre doctor with scarcely any money. But he wishes to marry Lizaveta and uses his powers of persuasion, limited as they are, to win her hand. Prescribed monologue number seven, character Malvolio, show Twelfth Night or What You Will by William Shakespeare. Theatrical style, Elizabethan, heightened language, comedy. Context, set in Italy, perhaps based on the names, and written in 1601-ish. Malvolio doesn't get much love in this show. He is disliked by all and treated poorly throughout the play. This is because he is quite rude to the other servants in the house and has a secret ambition to become a nobleman. He is tricked by the other workers in the household and due to their prank, is locked up in a mental institution. He is eventually let out at the end of the play. But... How does he get there? Well, this monologue is key. This monologue takes place after Malvolio has been very rude to the other servants, so they trick him into believing their mistress fancies him. He is very excited by a letter he finds, forged by Maria, a maid. Maria even seals the letter with Olivia's ring to make the letter look even more authentic. The letter orders him to wear yellow stockings, to go cross-guarded, that is, to wear the straps of his stockings crossed around his knees, be sharp-tempered with Sir Toby, be rude to the servants, behave strangely, and smile all the time. This monologue is where we see Malvolio following the steps of this forged letter in front of Olivia, his love. 
He basically embarrasses himself terribly as he believes he is flirting with a woman who loves him back. But she doesn't love him back, and in fact is so perturbed by his incredibly strange behaviour, after this monologue is finished, she sends him to a mental institution. So you can tell just how silly Malvolio is being by Olivia's actions following it. Prescribed monologue number eight, character, double, show, Lake Disappointment by Luke Mullins and Lachlan Philpot. Theatrical style, one-man show, modern Australian, eclectic. Context, takes place on a lake on the set of an independent art film, written in 2016. Lake Disappointment is an unusual new work about ego, self-fashioning, and illusions. This monologue opens the play and sets the scene for the rest of the play's events. Throughout the monologue, Double speaks to the film crew, the audience, and himself. The character is called the Double because he is a body double of the famous actor, Kane. In this monologue, Double shares his feelings about Kane, the films they've done, and some insights into his past. We also see Double isn't always sure where Kane ends and he begins. This monologue sheds light on the power of Kane in the Double's life. Being set on a lake and the original production using many reflective surfaces, this play is very much about reflections, both literal and cerebral. Prescribed monologue number nine, The Ballad Singer, show, Three Penny Opera by Bertolt Brecht, music from Kurt Weill. Theatrical style, epic theatre, musical. Context, written in 1928, based on the Beggar's Opera written in 1728, set in Victorian London. This song opens the play and gives an account of the life and crimes of Mac the Knife, one of the play's protagonists. The tune to Mac the Knife is from Kurt Weill, and is slightly more musical than the usual mess of unmelodic, alienating, jarring, epic songs we hear in Brecht's other works. The ballad singer delivers the songs while thieves steal and, quote, whores are whoring. This monologue sets up the world of the play, both with its narrative singing about the main character, but also the tone of the work. This is a world where violent murderers walk free and are sung about. Prescribed monologue number 10, character, if, show, Salman Rusty's Harun and the Sea of Stories, adapted by Tim Supple and David Tushingham. Theatrical style, eclectic fantasy surrealism, magic realism, children's theatre. Context, from the book written in 1990, adapted in 1998, set in the fictional nation of Aleph Bay. If is a water genie, and may be described as benevolent, compassionate, and cantankerous, although he is significant in the story because he is very reasonable, helpful, and reliable. This monologue appears just after we have met If. Harun wakes to see a small man with a monkey wrench in the bathroom. Harun sneaks out of bed and startles the man, who disappears and drops his wrench. Harun grabs it, and the man reappears. After some arguing, the man introduces himself as If, the water genie, and tells Harun that he's there to disconnect Rashid's story water supply. He asks Harun to contact the walrus to resolve the issue, and when Harun realises that this is an impossible task, he asks If to take him to see the walrus. If agrees in exchange for getting back his wrench, which is actually a disconnecting tool. If instructs Harun to choose a tiny bird from his hand, and Harun selects the hupui. If throws the tiny bird out the window, and the hupui grows to the size of a bed. If and Harun jump on and begin their journey to the moon of Kahani. This monologue has a number of theatrical elements included in it. Sounds, props, and nonsense language words invented for the story. Well, that is all from us at The Aside. We also have a prescribed monologues at a glance document that is linked in the episode description. If you'd like to have a look at that, feel free to do so. There are a load of episodes in The Aside Bank. 300 or more now. So please feel free to go through those and find one that piques your interest. Also, if you would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, do not hesitate to contact us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. We answer a number of emails each week and are very happy to help. Thank you to Eltham College for letting us record here, to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support, to Aaron Searle for providing the music, and of course, 
thank you for listening.